You know, when God created man, he did many things, but he did two extraordinary things that I want to point out as we talk about this topic this morning. The first thing is that God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And the second thing he did was that he breathed into man his breath. And the Bible says that man became a living soul. And what's so powerful about those two events, that when God did, he, he created man in his own image and then breathed into him, he imprinted into our DNA, into mankind, the need to connect in worship. That's why everybody has to worship. Something inside of us longs to, to pour out respect and honor and praise to God. It's when he created us, he put that, sold that into our DNA. And even folks that don't know Jesus need to worship. Why do you think there are bars? Why do you think there are concerts? Why do you think there's people give themselves over to making money? Buying things that to satisfy something in, in the heart that, that cries out to worship. And today, tonight, this morning, somewhere in this day. <laughs> you know, it's funny. You start off in the morning and you end up in the afternoon. And somewhere along the line, you don't know exactly where you're at. But today I want to share on the topic, the church at worship. Because when the church is activated in worship, right? God will show up not only on Sunday morning, but every single day of your life. If you'll have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of John, the fourth chapter, the 23rd verse. In this passage, Jesus is having a conversation with a woman who came to draw water at the well. Many of you know the story, the woman at the well. And Jesus comes and he begins a conversation with this woman here at the well as, he's drawing, as she's drawing water. And Jesus says this to her. The hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeks or the Father is seeking such to worship him. The word for worship in that verse, in the Greek, is the word proskuneo, which means to prostrate oneself, to give homage to, to do reverence, to adore. The Old English word, as many of you know, for worship is the word worth-ship, worth-ship. It means to ascribe honor and worth and when we are worshiping God, we are ascribing honor and worth to him. It's us responding to God who is worthy of the praise and adoration and honor. Our intended design, right, before it was broken, was to have ongoing communion with God. I remember reading a little thing from someone who is kind of a 
very agnostic. And he said, I could never worship a God who is so egotistical that he has to be worshipped all the time. Well, let me tell you something. If it was you that had to be worshipped, that I can say, that would be egotistical, right? Because no matter how great someone thinks he is, he never really can measure up to the standard. Unlike God, who always measures up to the standard. He's beyond good. You can't just say he's good. Yes, God is good, but he's beyond good. You can say God is great. Yes, but he's beyond great. God is everything and more than we can possibly describe when we start to worship him. When we give him honor and glory, we start proclaiming the truth of who he is. In fact, worship is less about singing songs and more about living the songs we sing. Right? Worship is an outward expression of, of our inward surrender. And you know, when we were putting this message together, uh, Pastor Ryan, who's preaching right now at the, at the East Campus, he had this in his notes, and I, I didn't tell him. I'll tell him. He'll probably find out. I actually stole this from his notes. This was so good. So I'm going to give him credit. He said this, worship is the only thing we can give to God that he doesn't already have. Every year, as you know, Christmas is coming up, and we always think about what gift can we give someone? What do you give someone that has everything, right? And over the years, you know, I've given gifts, especially to my children, and I'm always thinking, what can I give them this year? What, what, what would be unique to them that I can give them? And I always come up with something. But with God, what can you give God that he doesn't already have? Well, you can give him your praise. You can give him your worship. You say, Pastor Robert, isn't heaven filled with worship? Isn't heaven filled with praise? Aren't the, the 24 elders constantly before the throne giving honor and glory? Yes, that's true. But he still doesn't have your praise. How many know you are unique? The Bible says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. There's something unique about my praise that's different from your praise. It comes from a different experience. It comes from a different background. It comes from a different way of life. It comes from uh, uh, things that have happened in my life that may not have happened in your life. And so when I give to God my praise, I'm giving him something that he doesn't already have. So let's look at this. I want to I point out a few things about the church at worship. Number one, the church at worship enjoys his presence. The church at worship enjoys his presence. I love the fact that God welcomes us into his presence. In fact, in, in 4.23, John 4.23 says that the Father is seeking worshipers. He takes pleasure when we come to worship him. He takes pleasure when we, when we pour out our hearts and we, we cry out to him. And whenever we come to him, whether it be in desperation or delight, when we need his communion, he takes great pleasure in our coming. And don't be tripped up. You know, every once in a while, folks come. I, I, it's happened to me in the past where I'll come to church to worship. And in my mind, I get bombarded with these thoughts. Well, why are you praising God now? How come you didn't do it last week? You know. How come you all of a sudden, you, now that you're in need, you're praising God? Anybody ever go, go through that? That now that you're in need, now you're praising God for that? Let me tell you something. Don't let the devil lie to you because he's never been an advocate for God. 
If the devil is telling you that, it's probably because he knows that there's, there's something about praise. He knows about praise that when we praise God, we start getting into his presence. We start communing with him. And God has a way of intervening in our lives when we allow praise to come from our lips. The greatest gift that we could ever receive from God is the gift of his presence. In fact, the Bible says in the Psalms, most of us can quote this by heart, in his presence there is what? There is what? Fullness of joy. Come on, say it with me. Fullness of joy. In fact, the Bible in, in, in Psalms 22 verse 3 says it this way. The Lord inhabits the praises of Israel. That word inhabit, it's a very interesting word because in the Hebrew, it simply means to sit down. So the word inhabit means to sit down. But when we're talking about a king who is sitting down, it's more accurately uh, translated as enthroned. In fact, if you have multiple Bibles and you go through, the, through that verse in multiple Bibles, you'll see some of them have inhabits and some of them actually have enthroned. Because when a king sits down, it's actually he brings everything that he has with him. So the Bible literally says that when God's people praise him, we not only move into his presence, but praise welcomes his presence to move into our situation. How many of us are, have a situation that we're dealing with? Uh, my supervisor said, used to say, a situation. We got a situation here. How many of you have a situation right now that you're dealing with? Stuff that you're not sure how to handle. Problems that have arisen. Financial difficulties. Marital strife. Your children are acting up. Things are just not going well on the job. All different situations, pressures coming from bills that you have to pay. Whatever that situation that you're dealing with right now. I want you to know that when you praise God, that God comes in to your situation and he not only comes to as an observer, he comes to do something about it. He comes with his throne. He comes with his power. He comes with his kingdom to rule in the midst of your situation. So if you have situations in your life that you're dealing with right now. You have two choices. You can complain. Somebody once said, you can complain all you want. Nobody's going to listen. You can murmur. You can gripe. You can go on strike. Some people are, on, are not here this morning because they're on strike from God. They're picketing Jesus right now because he didn't do what they, what they thought he should do. Whatever your situation is today, whatever your situation is, however you're going through, if you are going through difficult moments in your life, the best thing you can do is have God come into your situation and let him bring you the breakthrough that you need. And the way that happens, praise inhabits or God inhabits the praise of his people. How many have situations you need to deal with? Raise your hand real quick. Raise your hand. Come on. All right. A lot of, a lot of, come on. We need to praise God. There's too many people here with situations. Come on. Lift your voice. Come on. Let's give them praise. Lord, we praise you. 
Lord, we just thank you for who you are. Come on, lift your voice. Give him praise. Let him come in. Let him inhabit your place. I know the devil is telling you it ain't going to work out, but don't worry about that. Just give him praise. Give him praise because God is good. Come on, praise him. Praise him. Praise him. Praise him. Praise him. We praise you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. We give you honor. We give you glory. We ask you to come in. Do your thing, Lord. Show off. Be God. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. There's something about when we praise God. That he comes into our situations and begins to change our experience. The church at worship not only enjoys his presence when we praise and when we worship, but the church at worship also engages the person. Worship engages our person. Biblical worship goes beyond just singing during a worship service. It moves you into an encounter with God. This requires our hearts to be humble and submitted to the Lord. Calls for us to surrender to him. And Jesus gave us a picture of what it means to engage the person. In Mark chapter 12 and verse 30. They should have it up on the board. I want you to read this with me. Would you do that? Let's read this verse together. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. Now, this verse, Jesus pulled out of Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 and 5. And this is a, a common verse that's used in Jewish liturgy. And what was Jesus specifically trying to imply here when he says, you will worship the Lord your God with all of your heart? But there are four responses that he talks about here. The first one, he said, you will love the Lord your God with all of your heart. The heart speaks about your will. It speaks about your volition. It speaks about what we choose to do. You will love the Lord your God with all your choices. The second thing he said, you will love the Lord your God with all of your soul. That's the emotional part of you. That's what we feel. It's bringing our joys, our sorrows, our pains, our gladness to God. That we can love him with all of our emotion. You know, some folks, you know, they, they think uh, worship shouldn't be so emotional. Well, Jesus said, you will love the, the Lord your God, not only with your will, but with your emotions. So it's okay to be a little emotional. He said, you will love the Lord your God with all your mind. The mind is the intellect, right? It's the way that we think. The Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. In fact, when we come to worship, I told the service earlier, we don't come to worship, sit down and screw our heads off and put it under the pew until worship is over. No, God wants to engage our mind. God wants to engage your thinking. He wants to, to change maybe the way you're looking at things, the way you currently are looking at things. And then the Bible says, you will worship the Lord God with all of your strength, right? It's the physical thing, is what we do. That honors God when we, when we humble ourselves. In fact, Romans 12, 1 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercies, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. How do we 
worship with our bodies, right? Well, we sing. We clap. Right? We shout. We jump. We dance. You know, as I was uh, enjoying the worship here today, I, I was looking around as we were worshiping. I saw some folks just with their hands lifted and tears coming down their eyes. I saw others jumping up and down. I saw others kind of doing the, the, the Watusi. That's not, that's not you, you probably don't know anything about that. But anyway, uh, they, they were getting down. Uh, now, I would try to, 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 to do something like that, but I'm not as talented as, as Pastor Lionel or, or Pastor uh, uh, Franklin, who, they, you know, when they talk about stuff like this, they actually get down. Don't expect that from me. I'm sorry. You're going to have to come to the East Campus and watch them do it, all right? But we can worship the Lord with all of our body. The one that comes to mind here is King David. Remember King David. King David wanted the presence of God in his administration. One of the first things he did when, when he became king, he says, we've got to go get the ark and bring it into, into, into Israel. The ark of the covenant, as some of you know, was where God's presence resided. He had this box. He had Moses create this box. And there he would meet with the high priest and with Moses. And throughout the centuries and throughout the years, the box came into, especially under the reign of Saul. Saul, the Bible says, Saul had no respect for, for the Ark of the Covenant. He really didn't seek after God. He put it away. When David became king, he said, let's go, let's go get the Ark. We need that in our administration. Let me tell you something. We need the presence of God in our lives. And so David said, he made it a point that he said he's going to Get the ark. And you know the story well. The first attempt that David made to, to, uh, to bring the ark in, somebody got killed. And then David got discouraged and decided not to do it. Then he said, no, no, I need God, so let, let's have him. And he looked at the scripture and found out how God wanted him to proceed with this project. And you know the story that here comes the ark. The priests are carrying it with poles on their shoulders. And there's a procession coming into the land. And in the front of the procession, there's David, the king, dancing like a wild man, just enjoying himself, just cutting it loose, not caring about what people thought or what people were thinking. He was, the Bible says that he was dancing the, uh, in the Lord with all of his might. Now, his wife, who was known, it was never known as David's wife. She was always known as the daughter of Saul. She saw him acting up like that. She was embarrassed. She was ashamed. And at the end of the parade, when David finally got home, you know, he's all sweated up and, you know, he, he, he did his thing and he was all happy. And here comes his, his wife, his name was Michael. And she says to him, wow. How the king, you really, you made a fool of you. You know how embarrassing you looked? You know how shameful you were dancing in front of the folks like that? Kings ought not to do this. That was a disgrace. That was shameful. David could have hung his head, but he said to her, If you think that I made a fool of myself today, just wait till you see what I'm going to do tomorrow. Hallelujah. 
Don't despise. Listen, church. Don't despise when you see folk get a little emotional. Don't despise when you see them dancing up a little bit of a storm that you're not used to. Because you never know what their journey has been like. Do you know that when God said to Samuel, I want you to appoint a king from the sons of Jesse, go to his house and appoint his son, one of his sons, king. That when, when Samuel came to Jesse's house and he said, call your sons. And the Bible says that he called his seven sons. But guess what? Jesse had eight sons. But he looked at his his, his virile sons, the ones that looked the part, the ones that had it all together. And surely one of these guys, one of these guys is the king. And by the time Samuel got through, you know, this is not the guy. Nah, definitely not. Eh, nope. Next. Who's next? And he went through seven sons. And, and he was perplexed because after going through all the sons, none of these were the king. God did not confirm any of those. And so Samuel scratches his head. And he says to Samuel, is there another? Do you have another son? Yeah, well, yeah, I do. He's, he's out there in the field. He's a, he's a shepherd, teenage boy. He's out there in the shepherd's somewhere. And Samuel says, go get him because we ain't doing nothing else until he gets here. Sorry for my English. You see... While, so, while, while Jesse's sons were busy lifting weights, while they were busy creating a life for themselves in the public, while they were busy in the army of Israel doing their thing, David was out in the field worshiping the Lord. He was writing songs about God. He was dictating his life. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good and his mercy endures forever. When, 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 when nobody else saw what David was doing because he was out in the field, God knew him. Because God heard his worship. And guess what? God came after David. God came after David. God sought David. And God always seeks worshipers. God always seeks people who recognize who he is. And so David remembered that though no one thought anything about him, that God knew where he was at. Let me tell you something. If you're a worshiper this morning, don't worry about recognition. God knows where you're at. God knows where you're at. I have a friend who was a pastor. He's now passed, great man of God. And he, was, he told us a story about his uncle. His uncle was very wealthy. His uncle once ran for the governor of one of the states. I, I don't doesn't hit me right now. And his uncle was an agnostic, didn't want God, didn't know God, couldn't care less about God. And one Sunday morning, and he used, to, he used to idolize his uncle because even though he didn't know the Lord, all of his successes, all of the things that he did, and, you know, he really idolized his uncle. 
And he was saying that one Sunday morning, they were, they were in church, and they had one of those services, you know, you know one, of, one of those services where people are rolling on the floor, swinging on the chandelier, you know, one of those kind of services, one of real get-down services. And if you've never been in one of those services, I want to tell you, get ready. Anyway. So, I mean, they're going for it, and, 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 and my, my friend, he's got his hand, he's in the front. He's got his hands lifted up, and he's waving, you know, acting, acting crazy and whatnot. And, and, and all of a sudden, he's, as he's waving, you know, he, goes up, he opens his eyes just to observe the congregation. And all the way in the back, in the last row, there's his uncle sitting down on the chair observing all this. And so now he's, he's waving his hands and going for it. And all these thoughts come in. Well, he doesn't know the Lord. He, he doesn't love God. He, he, he doesn't want anything of God. And so the more he thought about it, the less his hands, you know, his hands started going down further and further and further. And an embarrassment kind of hit him. And he was thinking, how do I control the service to make it more appealing to my uncle? And when he thought that, the Holy Spirit, God spoke to him. And said this, you take care of me, and I'll take care of him. Yeah. And so service went on, it ended, and pastor, a couple, one or two people came to the Lord, and he was praying for one person there. And when, when that person got up to leave, all the congregation had left by that time. He was praying for that person, everybody left, except for one person. His uncle was still sitting in the back of the church. And so he finally, he, he walks over to his uncle and he looks at him and tears are streaming down his eyes. And this is what he said. He said, I don't know what's going on here, but God is in this place. Something inside of us reaches out, is reaching out for God to connect to the one who made us. And when we try, we ought not to try to satisfy the needs of humanity. We need to satisfy the one who made us, who called us, who saved us, who delivered us. Who's, who put our names in the Lamb's book of life. And when we please him, he'll take care of the rest. When we, the church at worship enjoys his presence, engages the person, and the church in worship also extends his purpose. There's something so powerful about worship. It's interesting to note, and I didn't say this in the first service, but I'm going to say it. It's interesting to note that in the, the, the history of the Jewish people in the Bible, they had three major places of worship. One was the tabernacle of Moses. The second one was the tabernacle of David. And the third one was the temple of Solomon. Three tabernacles that were raised up in, in the history of the Jewish people. And it's interesting to note that in the Old Testament, and in the New Testament, that God says this. He says, I'm going to raise up 
the tabernacle of David once again. In the New Testament, in fact, in the 15th chapter of the book of Acts, he said, James got up and said, the Bible says that God was going to raise up the tabernacle of David so that the rest of mankind could seek the Lord. Why didn't God raise up Moses' tabernacle? Why didn't God raise up Solomon's temple? Both of them were more luxurious, were, were better to look at. David's tabernacle was only a tent with the ark in it. But David's tabernacle was about pursuing God. It was where David set up his tabernacle on Mount Zion so that all the priests, it wasn't limited to a few people. You see, in Moses' tabernacle and in, in, in uh, uh, Solomon's temple, only the priests could enter into the presence of God. And that only once a year. But when David came around, he said, no, God doesn't want once a year praise, although some folk are like that. You know what I'm talking about. God wants praise all the time. God wants us to be in his presence all the time. And so David understood that when we praise him, this is what God wants. He wants us to worship. And in worshiping God, God extends his kingdom. When we worship in spirit and in truth, it causes us to reach out to those folks that nobody else would reach out to. We reach out to the unlovely because God does something in our lives when we spend time with him in worship. In the verse that we read earlier in John chapter 4, verse 23, I gave you a little bit of the story. But that woman at the well... She was an outcast. She came at 12 o'clock to draw water versus at other times when more women were there. Because everybody knew her story. Everybody knew where she had been and what she'd done. Everybody knew that they didn't want to really associate with her. And when she would come around, gossip would start and innuendo. And so she learned to adjust and adapt to her situation by coming instead of when everybody else would come, she came at 12 o'clock. But how many know God knows when you come? How many know that when God is seeking you, he knows where to find you and when to find you? And this woman at the well, she encounters the living God through Jesus Christ. And Jesus begins to minister, and she said, he said, give me water, and she said, if you knew, he said, she said to him, how come, if you're a Jew, you're asking me for water, because there was prejudice back then, this is not something new, there was real prejudice back then, the Samaritans or the Jews had nothing to do with the Samaritans, in fact, if they had to go through Samaria, they would go around another way, just so they wouldn't hit that town, and here's this Jewish guy, Gently asking this broken woman, can you give me some water? And she said, how, how come you're a Jew and, and you're asking me for water? And he said to her, if you knew who was speaking to you, you would have asked me for water. And I would have given you a water that if you drink from the water I give you, you will never thirst again. You see, that there's thirsty people out there. People that, that want the water that we have. They want to drink from the fountain that we drink from. But they don't know where it is. 
And so they go to the club on Saturday night. They go to the Sunday afternoon bar fellowship. They go to the, the concerts where they can, you know, they can use their energy to, to worship what they don't know. But this woman was touched by Jesus so much so she ran back to her city. She said, you got to meet this guy. She, went, she became an evangelist. She said, you got you to meet this guy. He told me everything about me that ever I was. He knew everything about me. He knew where I'd been. He knew what I'd done. But he offered me living water. God knows how to find you. In fact, God is seeking you today. Some of you are like that uncle, don't want God, don't need God. Have no think of, uh, thought of God in your life right now. That's the last thing you're thinking about. But God is, he's coming after you. Many years ago, there was a commercial, I remember, I don't know why it came to me now. There was just a, a, a commercial, I, I, it was a scar or something, I don't But the guy, the, the, the thought was this, the guy got on, he says, we're going to get you. I don't know how, I don't know when, but we're going to get you. He was talking about get, so that you try that product. And here's what the Holy Spirit says, I'm going to get you. I don't know how, well, he knows how, and I know when, but the Lord is coming after you. You who are outcasts, you that didn't want God, you that said, God hurt me. God disappointed me. God didn't, he didn't measure up to what I, I thought I should have. God is out of step with the times. He's not, he's not in touch with what's going on in culture today. How many know this? God knows the styles that are coming out before you know it. You know, we, 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 back in the day when I, was, when I was started preaching, we used to wear a suit and tie. God knew that we were going to dress like this in church. God knew about Nikes and Louboutins. God knew, he knew that before you knew about it. God is, is the word hip still hip? I don't know. God is hipper than hip. Whatever, whatever the colloquialism is for this generation, God is that and more. He knows where it's at. He knows how to get to the culture. And you know how he gets to the culture? Through praise and worship. Recently we've been hearing in the news about Kanye West. He had an encounter with God. And he don't know any better. He says, oh, God saved him. So every Sunday I'm going to have a Sunday service. And he called a friend of his and says, I want you to get me a choir. And his friend called it a, 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 a choir leader. I, I can't remember his name right now. But he said to him, I need an 80-voice choir right away. For what? I can't tell you. Somebody very famous needs a choir. Can you put, I'll put, I'll put it together. He didn't know it was Kanye West. And Kanye West put this choir together and started what he called Sunday services. You know what Sunday services is? Worship. 
is this choir and the audience worshiping. And you know who he's, who's got coming? Brad Pitt came to his worship service. All these Hollywood stars are coming. And guess what? They're liking it. Why? Because something in here is reaching out to God, saying, God, I need to touch you. They don't know it yet. Kanye West has found the answer. In fact, what, what I love about what he did, you know, Kanye West just recently went to uh, Houston, what's his name, uh, Joel Olsing's church. And while he was in Houston, he decided to go to a prison to minister to the prisoners. And he told his people, I don't want any fancy dressing. We're not going to be on stage. We're going to be right on the ground, face to face with all these guys. You can Google it. And you have all these guys in orange jumpsuits raising their hands in worship. God knows how to get to people. Kanye West said something interesting that I, I want to read his quote. He said, I know God's been calling me for a long time. And the devil has been distracting me for a long time. When I was at my lowest points, God was there with me, inspiring me and sending me visions. Following the Bible can free us all. Jesus can set you free. He also said this, which I love. It's very, very human and very like the, the kind of people that God goes after. He said this. He called himself the greatest artist of all time. He says, he was the great, he says, I'm the greatest artist of all time. He says, but Jesus Christ is the only superstar. Hallelujah. Worship. Worship. When we worship, we start extending his, his rule and his reign. In that one interview, he spoke to 16,800 people, including folks that are online. God has a way of taking the outcast, the unlovable, the unusual, the freaks of nature, those that people have given up on, and even some of us, sophisticates, very schooled, very polished, very successful doesn't matter your stage of life. God's coming after you. He's looking for worshipers. And if you will give your life to worship, if you will give your life to be a worshiper of God, God will turn your life into an adventure that you never thought you could have. I'm telling you, there's a new presence of God that's coming to Christ Church. Because in your heart, you're feeling it. Something in your heart says, this is right. We need to worship more. We need to give ourselves more to God. He's what we really need, isn't he?